Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. Chapter 36. The only one he ever feared. He hasn't gone, Harry yelled. He did not believe it. He would not believe it. Still, he fought Lupin with every bit of strength he had. Lupin did not understand. People hid behind that curtain. Harry had heard them whispering the first time he entered the room. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So Casper, as you know, I am the middle of three children. And when I was little, I was convinced that my mom completely played favorites on my younger brother, Jonathan, who was the baby. I was convinced that, like, he got away with all sorts of things that David and I had never gotten away with and would never get away with. And one of the ways that this manifested is that when Jonathan was really little and was, like, still in preschool and just hanging out with my mom a lot— 
I would come home from school and Jonathan would have like these dumb little toys that, you know, were like cheap plastic in the 80s that would break after two seconds. But I was like, Mom, you would never have bought that for me. And she was like, sweetie, I did not buy that for him. The grocery clerk just gave it to him. And I was like, sure, just admit it. You gave him a nickel to like buy the thing from the cheap machine. And she was like, I didn't. The bank teller gave it to him. And I was convinced that this was a big ruse and that my mom was actually just like bribing my little brother through his life in a way that I had never been bribed. And I was really jealous. I was like, you are treating him totally differently than you treated me. And then one day I was also with my mom on an errand and a bank teller just gave Jonathan a sticker. And my mom looked at me and was like, see, people just give him things. And it was amazing. In that moment, I just like stopped being jealous. Once I realized that it was just strangers being enchanted with how cute Jonathan was, I no longer cared that he was getting these things. And so what that jealousy was actually about was a sense of justice and a sense of fairness. I didn't want him to have totally different parents than I had had. And so I think that jealousy is often a secondary emotion. I think jealousy is like actually about fear or actually about justice. I think that usually jealousy is actually a signifier pointing to something else. And so I'm, I'm curious if we can talk about that today as we look at jealousy in this chapter. It's so funny. I was at the bank with Jonathan yesterday and they gave him a prophecy and he just dropped it. <laughs> that is nonsense. Jonathan is an athletic director and a PE coach. He would not just drop something. <laughs> I'm a dropper. Jonathan is not a dropper. He's a catch. Do you know what I'm not going to be jealous of? My 30 second recap? Yeah. What a winner. <laughs> okay. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Harry's like, no, he can't be dead. And Lupin is like, he's definitely dead. Um, and Kingsley is fighting now with Beltrix and Dumbledore's arrived and uh, like most of the um, Death Eaters are all like an invisible yarn kind of wrapped together in some way. And then Beltrix is running and Harry's like, no, I'm going to find you. And then he runs into the like the octagonal room with all the doors and like somehow when you just say, I want to go out, the doors are like, yeah, great. So then there's a fight and Beltrix is like, I've got to get you. And he's like, I don't have the prophecy. And Dumbledore comes and then Voldemort comes and then they fight and then Harry wakes up and it was all a dream, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a dream the British and American editions are more different than I realized they really diverge at book five yeah. like we don't we don't talk about that enough also I was hoping you were going to do some more of the Voldemort Dumbledore fight stuff I get so bored whenever there's fighting I'm like I don't care <laughs> spell charm <laughs> jinx yeah. hex here we go <laughs> there it is I just did it for you 30 seconds on the clock starting now <laughs> So um, Neville is like, oh, is Sirius Black a friend of yours, Harry? And Hermione is knocked out. And it's just like Neville and Lupin and Harry. And they go. And Harry is like, I'm going to kill Bellatrix. And Bellatrix is like mocking him. And Voldemort um, is like trying to goad uh, um, Dumbledore into killing Harry. Like death isn't a big deal. Just do it. And Dumbledore mocks um, Voldemort. And then Fudge comes. And everybody is like, oh, my God, we did. We saw Voldemort. He's back. And Dumbledore is like, I am reinstituted as the headmaster. Harry, you go back. I'll see you in 30 minutes. I love that Dumbledore's a total dom at the end. He's like, you can send letters to the headmaster. Bye. I'll give you 30 minutes of my time to explain what happened. After that, you need to book with my secretary. Well, that might actually be a great place to start. Let's do it. I do. I will just admit that, like, I love Dumbledore. He shows up and I feel safe again. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what happens to Harry. It's just this relief of like, oh, everything's going to be okay, right? The end of the last chapter. But we do see he's unwilling to kill Voldemort. That's one of the key interactions that we see. And it means that Voldemort is able to get away. Although I love, just for the record, because we've talked so much about names, that Dumbledore calls him Tom. Tom, yeah. So I noticed that too. And I am wondering if you think that that is about intentionally trying to disarm Voldemort? Yes. Or do you think that he just still thinks of him as this, like, lost boy Tom, right? And when he sees Voldemort, he sees this kid Tom, right? And we often see that. One of my good friends growing up was a woman named Joanne. She is a teacher and mom, and I still call her Nan because that is what we called her when she was seven. I cannot not call her Nan in my head. I think that it's possible that Dumbledore isn't even trying to disarm him. He just looks at him and sees Tom. And I'm now going to contradict myself because I'm always saying, like, we should call him Tom. That would, you know, disarm him in exactly the way that you're saying. But I'm now wondering, is the fact that Dumbledore sees him as Tom, does it make him unwilling to see the fullness of the evil that Voldemort has become? Does he still see some kind of hope of change in calling him Tom? I'm wondering if he's underestimating Voldemort's power. I don't know if he's underestimating Voldemort's power, but I do think that it does instill jealousy in Voldemort. Mm. That he's like, you have this information that you can call me something that belittles me. I think that's really insightful, Vanessa, because in some ways, jealousy shows up when there's a power differential. And here it becomes really clear. I mean, there's literally a battle scene here and they both have someone at stake, Bellatrix and Harry. You know, they've both kind of pushed them out of the main line of fire. I mean, it's fascinating to see the magic. Like we joked about the jinxes and the spells, but actually this magical battle is way more interesting. There's like water coming out of nowhere surrounding Voldemort and then statues are coming alive. And then, you know, one spell is turned into something else and becomes a serpent. It's just super interesting to see. And I think jealousy shows up when... In a battle where they're matched in power, potentially, they aren't matched in information. And the seniority of Dumbledore kind of elicits this, yeah, maybe this jealousy in in Voldemort. I think also Voldemort really wants to prove himself to Dumbledore. I mean, the title of the chapter, right? The only one he ever feared is about Voldemort's point of view on Dumbledore. And so this is his chance to prove to his teacher, to the other most powerful wizard alive, no, I am better than you. And every time Dumbledore does a great spell, it must poke at Voldemort's jealousy. So I have a strategic question because Voldemort outright says, why won't you try and kill me? And then he gets into Harry's body and tries to get Dumbledore to kill Harry and therefore kill Voldemort. Because Dumbledore could. I mean, we, we assume he has the power to do that, but he's not throwing killing curses. And I wondered, is it because at this point, Dumbledore already knows about the Horcruxes? I mean, my reading of the text is that certainly by book three already, we think that that that's the case. And so therefore, he's kind of, he knows that would be an inconclusive death, right? It would just mean he would disappear again. Right. So I think it's such a good question. I think absolutely Dumbledore knows about the Horcruxes. I don't understand enough about Horcrux magic to know whether it would still be helpful to kill one of the Horcruxes, which is Voldemort within his own body, and, like, have him disappear. I also know that Dumbledore 
wants to be caught, right? He wants Fudge to see Voldemort. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't even thought about that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And what I hadn't even thought about until you just said it is that he actually wants this to be seen, right? Obviously, the alarm by now has been raised and probably Fudge is on his way. And indeed, later, we do see Fudge there with other workers. So even at this moment in the scene, there are actually bystanders witnessing what's happening. And so maybe there's also some like political leverage that Dumbledore wants to wants to hold over Fudge by letting Voldemort escape and being like, I need to be back in power because the world is safer with me in charge. That would be a very Machiavellian move. <laughs> I mean, Fudge, you know, you just talked about how Fudge comes rolling in. And I think that Fudge and Dumbledore is another great place where we see jealousy in this chapter. A hundred percent. Fudge wants to yell, arrest him, right? And to be fair, Dumbledore has broken the law, right? Numerous times. But Fudge just gets steamrolled by Dumbledore in this moment and is like, you have been chasing the wrong man for a year. Let's not go to trial and adjudicate this over the next six months. Let's just figure this all out right now. You were wrong. You owe me an apology. Forgiven. Let's move on. Right? Well, and it's not just Dumbledore. I think it's important that the bystanders are all saying, I saw Voldemort with my own eyes. Oh my God, he was here. So that like the context has changed and Fudge, if nothing else, is a consummate politician and realizes that the wind has blown in a different direction. And so... Either he's going to get fired completely or he can try and ride this train. Do you think that if it had only been him, he wouldn't have let his own being an eyewitness to Voldemort sway him? You think that, oh. Yeah, I think I do. I think that Fudge is always going to be swayed by what is best for him. And if he was the only eyewitness and it meant that he had to have a huge climb down and therefore be fired, I think he'd still keep lying. That's so interesting. So do you think that Dumbledore is savvy in this moment because he is throwing his power around this room, right? And we know that one of the ways to institute jealousy in somebody is to throw your power around, right? And to just be like, let's not pretend anymore. I'm the headmaster. You will be writing a letter within the next half hour, firing Dolores Umbridge. Like, he does not have to do this in front of Harry. He doesn't have to do this in front of other people. They are about to have a private half-hour meeting. Dumbledore could do all of this privately. Do you think that it's strategic of him to be— Poking at Fudge and, like, pulling out all of this jealousy in Fudge? Because making somebody jealous is a way to make them feel small and therefore be more easily controlled. So I would say it's the other way around in the sense that Dumbledore is willing to pay the price of Fudge's jealousy. And frankly, not because it's new, but because it's always been there. At this point, he's like, listen, done. We're no longer going to pretend all of this is true. Everyone else has seen what I've seen. I need to be in charge from right now. Because at this point, people's lives are still at stake, right? We don't know if Hermione's being cared for, right? There's all these, Sirius has just died. There's death eaters that need to be dealt with and processed through the wizard policing system. So I I don't think that he's intentionally trying to make Fudge jealous. But I think he's like, listen, you're going to be jealous anyway. So let me just deal. You know Uh, what I mean? I really like that reading. And I think it's just a helpful way to think about jealousy in general, which is like, You can't control other people's jealousy. I can't even control my own jealousy. (laughs) So, but here's the thing. In my own experience, the times when I'm really jealous, like I will read someone's work or hear about someone's work and just be like, they're my new frenemy. You know, like I I haven't met them yet and I'm just like super jealous and I'm like looking for all the things that I don't like about them that I can find on Twitter. And then usually I meet them and I'm like, 
Oh, you're actually really great. <laughs> I've, I've had this often enough. So that now when I feel that jealousy, it's not that the jealousy goes away, but I'm like, oh, I know what the solution to this jealousy is, is meet the person. And then I'm going to fall in love with them and think they're great. And then just admire them because jealousy and admiration sit so closely together, you know, and if it can be, wow, I just so appreciate what you do. And I'm glad to know you and to know of you. It just takes away the, I don't know, the nasty bitterness that comes with it in myself. (laughs) Well, so, you know, I was trying to think jealousy to me almost seems like a secondary emotion, right? That there's like an emotion behind jealousy. And so I wonder if the difference between jealousy and admiration is fear. Mm. That in order for jealousy to really flourish, there has to be some fear behind it. And so it's like, oh, I'm so jealous of this other woman in your life. Well, that's because I am scared that I could be replaced by them, right? right? Or I'm so jealous of this other person's work. And then you meet them and you're no longer afraid of them because you're like, oh, you're great. And you're like just a human and you're actually really nice and sort of rooting for me too. And a rising tide lifts all boats. So like, let's root for each other. To me, jealousy, I've just, in contemplating it in this chapter, it's a little bit about fear, right? Fudge is jealous of Dumbledore because Dumbledore is a better wizard than him. And he's afraid that whenever Dumbledore wants, he can just, like, dethrone Fudge. But I also, can I offer you another theory of jealousy? Yes. So this moment where Harry is chasing Bellatrix Mm. and he is saying she killed Sirius. She killed him. I'll kill her. I'm wondering if revenge is about jealousy. Say more. So is revenge the feeling of I feel this pain and I am jealous that you don't feel this pain. Oh, wow. So I will make you feel this pain so that we are equal again. Because, again, I think one of the ways that we think of addressing jealousy is to equalize the power. Mm. I'm wondering if revenge and jealousy have something to do with one another. What is so important about this moment is that this is the first time that Harry throws out an unforgivable curse. He shoots a Crucio and hits Bellatrix. But because he doesn't want her to feel pain, it doesn't actually capture her and she kind of shakes off this curse. Like, we can absolutely say that Harry is angry. Harry hates Bellatrix, right? He, he wants revenge, but he doesn't want to watch her experience pain. And so to some extent, I really like this jealousy analogy because it's, it's about leveling rather than about inflicting suffering. He wants her to to know what she's done. He wants her to, I mean, he does want her to die, but he actually doesn't want to see her suffer in the same way that she does want to see others suffer. He definitely will not delight in her suffering in the way that we know that Bellatrix actively delights in the suffering of others. I mean, she mocks him, right? She's like, you don't mean it. And so it's not going to work. The whole irony is, and I'm just seeing this for the first time, is that actually Bellatrix must be jealous of Harry for two reasons. One, because both of these are secondary characters in relationship to their more powerful partner, right? Dumbledore comes on Harry's side. Voldemort comes on Bellatrix's side. The way that Dumbledore protects Harry is to immediately make sure that he's okay in terms of like shoving him off the the battlefield. And Voldemort just talks to Bellatrix like a dog, you know, like, don't whine. I'm not going to, I'm going to deal with you later. Like, it's this very dismissive language. But then secondly, like Voldemort is way more obsessed with Harry. I can imagine Bellatrix being like, what about me? Yeah. And like Harry being like, why are you so obsessed with me? (laughs) But so, you know, I think actually the jealousy might lie on the other hand, 
which is that Bellatrix doesn't get what she wants from the relationship with Voldemort. Although, final point, throughout this whole book, Harry hasn't gotten what he wanted from Dumbledore either. Yeah, I love your Bellatrix is jealous of Harry point. I mean, and Bellatrix goes after Sirius, right? Like, I love this idea that she's like, I hate this kid. And once we get rid of this kid, Voldemort can pay attention to me again. Exactly, yeah. Like, I just want this wrapped up. And, like, Voldemort has all these rules. Like, you can't kill him. I have to kill him. And Bellatrix is like, can I just kill him already so (laughs) you and I can be alone together? I also love the idea of Bellatrix being jealous of the way that Dumbledore treats Harry and being like, why aren't you protecting me like that, right? And it creates, like, a potential division between her and Voldemort, which I actually think that in Bellatrix, that creates more of a desperation and more of a need to get approval from Voldemort. Well, and all of this kind of mirrors back to the story that you told at the beginning, because so much of this is about the attention we want from our parents, right? From our primary caregivers, that we want to be loved, we want to be special, we want to get the little presents. And I think as older siblings of younger ones, the frustration to see younger kids like get away with what you were never able to get away with or get certain privileges and presents I see that same dynamic here between the kind of parental figures and the children figures within this scene. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much. And Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. 
Vanessa, there's one point in the text that did really make me think of jealousy directly, which is that throughout this chapter, the different figures in the fountain, in the in the kind of entry hall of the ministry, come alive. They're protecting, they're kind of getting in the way of spells. One locks Beltrix to the ground. But at some point, one of the fountain figures applauds Dumbledore. <laughs> and if we're to believe that all of these figures have been responding to Dumbledore's magic to protect people, we've got to assume that this fountain figure is being made to applaud Dumbledore by Dumbledore. <laughs> 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 just in terms of like bringing your own crowd to like, you know, whoop up the energy. I'm totally all about. But like, does that mean that by the time Voldemort has disappeared, that Dumbledore is just making this statue applaud in front of Fudge and everyone else who's there, like just trying to make him jealous? That's hysterical. Also, because Fudge won't have noticed that Dumbledore is the one who like animated yes. them. So he's just like, oh my God, even statues are applauding <laughs> this man. I don't stand a chance. Even the walls are singing. Yeah, exactly. I love that idea, which I think brings us to a question about jealousy, which is like, is it ever beneficial to try to make somebody else jealous? Mm. So sometimes jealousy can be the root of really like a race to the top, right? Like Sophie did better in her homework than Asmeel. And so Asmeel is going to be like, I'm going to beat you, Sophie. And so it becomes like, you know, a positive cycle of like friendly competition. I'm suspicious of that, though. I'm not sure. Can you think of a good example? I mean, not really. I'm thinking that like, with my ex, I didn't realize I liked him until I saw somebody else flirt with him. Oh, that's a good sign. And I was like, oh, I am jealous. I must like him. And so it wasn't that jealousy was a good emotion. It was that it made me notice that, you the know, that I The emotion that can't... was underneath. Exactly. So I'm wondering, right, like, I'm wondering if this is a good thing that Dumbledore is, like, inciting in fudge, like— yeah, are you jealous of how powerful I am? And, like, that is part of why he's able to negotiate so quickly a moment later where he is like, this is everything and the way it's going to go. What if it's not about how powerful he is that he's making him jealous of, but he's making him jealous of how good he is at fighting Voldemort, right? Like, if the competition is about who can better limit Voldemort, then that's a great competition to be in. If it's a competition about who's going to be the most powerful wizard in the land, I don't think that's a productive competition. Nor is it the competition that Dumbledore ever wants to be a part of, right? Which is right? why he never becomes Minister of Magic. I wish he would. Yeah, but then who knows? So, Casper, there's one other place where I saw jealousy, which is we know that Harry is someone who is, like, not afraid to say difficult things, right? Like, he can say Voldemort. He is, like, willing to call things out to Snape. He's, like, very confrontational in this book. And yet, at the beginning of this chapter, he really will not say that Sirius has died. In fact, he yells, like, he is not dead. This just struck me so hard about the jealousy involved in grief and the text says there was movement going on around them, pointless bustling, the flashes of more spells. To Harry, it was meaningless noise, the mm. deflected curses flying past him. And it's just so interesting, right? Because we know that these aren't meaningless spells. These are people fighting for their lives against Voldemort. Three paragraphs ago, it was the most important thing in the world. And, you know, whenever I've been in moments of grief, you just look at other people like going to the bank and you're like, oh, to be stressed about going to the bank, 
that looks lovely, yeah. right? Or there's just this jealousy that can be involved in grief where in the moments in my life in which I've deeply grieved, I've just been jealous of like normal annoyances. Like remember yesterday when traffic pissed me off and I feel like Harry in this moment is bitter about the fact that other people are still bustling. Yeah, it's amazing how the things, you know, that seemed overwhelming on day one by the next day feel completely out of proportion. Or you can just be jealous of your past self. Yes. You're like, oh, remember yesterday when this was your biggest problem? And like now Sirius is dead, right? And you can be jealous of yourself 10 minutes ago. Remember when the only thing that you had on your mind was that Hermione is passed out and Ron is hexed and you were afraid for your life? Wasn't that charming? I feel like that living with 18-year-olds, I'm like, I'm jealous that the biggest problem in your life is a paper that you need to write by 9 a.m. tomorrow, you know? But I think, you know, I think that these are like false jealousies, right? Right. Because when you are 18, that— It's overwhelming. It's everything. Papers are important when you're 18, and Harry was fighting for his life just a minute ago. What's wrong is the horrible thing that happened that's causing you to grieve, right? What's wrong is that you just saw your godfather die. You know, what's wrong is being 18 and having things to worry about, like shelter, right? Like, those are the injustices. We should all be just worried about getting through day to day. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Vanessa, we are continuing with sacred imagination for one last time before we move on to a different spiritual practice. So as ever, I'm going to invite you to sit comfortably and close your eyes if it's safe and comfortable to do so. And just try and imagine what you can smell and hear and see and touch and taste in this passage. This passage comes from right at the end of the books, and we hear Dumbledore and Fudge talking with one another, but there are plenty of other people standing around who can hear them. He walked away from the pool to the place where the golden wizard's head lay on the floor. He pointed his wand at it and muttered, Portus. The head glowed blue and trembled noisily against the wooden floor for a few seconds and then became still once more. Now see here, Dumbledore, said Fudge, as Dumbledore picked up the head and walked back to Harry carrying it. You haven't got authorization for that port key. You can't do things like that right in front of the Minister for Magic. You... you... His voice faltered as Dumbledore surveyed him magisterially over his half-moon spectacles. You will give the order to remove Dolores Umbridge from Hogwarts, said Dumbledore. You will tell your auras to stop searching for my care of magical creatures, teacher, so that he can return to work. I will give you... Dumbledore pulled a watch with twelve hands from his pocket and glanced at it. Half an hour of my time tonight, in which I think we shall be more than able to cover the important points of what has happened here. After that, I shall need to return to my school. If you need more help from me, you are, of course, more than welcome to contact me at Hogwarts. Letters addressed to the headmaster will find me. Fudge goggled worse than ever. His mouth was open and his round face grew pinker under his rumpled grey hair. So, Vanessa, where did you find yourself in this passage? I was Dumbledore. 
And I was so aware that other people were watching. Mm. If it was just me and Fudge, I would say different things. But I want everyone to know my priorities are immediately thinking about Hagrid, immediately thinking about the safety of my kids. I was just like so aware that this wasn't just a performance for Fudge, but it was a performance for the witnesses who are going to be interviewed by the Daily Prophet tomorrow, who are going to be the the ones who are testifying as to mm. what happened. And I'm like spinning this. I'm also suddenly thinking there are members of the Order here who have been fighting against the Death Eaters. So the Order is going to be exposed. And so... Like at this point, we don't yet know how the ministry is going to flip, what's going to happen. So is he still trying to protect people by, you know, giving them a way out? I don't know. Kingsley Shacklebolt is here. He's a double agent, right? Lupin is here, who's probably a scourge of society. Like there's a lot at stake in this moment. Yeah. And the the other person I was was like the low-level ministry employee, yeah, right? Yeah. That was my kind of – I was looking at Fudge as my boss – and trying to see how he responded. And, and you know, obviously he's, he's kind of going red in the face. He's stuttering. He's unable to complete sentences. Fudge, who's usually so self-assured in his own office space, is being outranked. Like, it's humiliating for Fudge. I felt a little bit of pleasure. And I, I don't know that uh, if that's informed by m me being a reader or if that's really a fair response from one of his own employees. But Fudge is pompous, right? And so for someone pompous to get their comeuppance, there's always a little bit of satisfaction in that. Oh, I was like embarrassed for him mm. and like wanted to look away and be like, awkward, you are getting yelled at by a fugitive and like <laughs> you were wrong this whole time. Do you mind telling me why you think Dumbledore brings up Hagrid? Like the other points seem urgent, right? Like, get Umbridge out of there because I need to go and I need to bring everybody back to the hospital wing and I'm not going to go back and deal with her, right? Why is bringing up Hagrid? Oh, I think I know. I mean, the first thing he's doing in this passage is creating a port key for Harry to go straight back to Hogwarts. And I think he's thinking about Harry and he's thinking about what is Harry going to need and he's thinking about Hagrid. And McGonagall isn't there right now. She's at St. Mungo's. Yeah, she's, she's being nursed back to health, hopefully. And none of the other teachers have that relationship with Harry. And he knows that he is not going to have time for Harry or maybe even that there's still this risk of Voldemort using Harry. So I think he's I think he's thinking about Harry when he thinks about Hagrid here. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. And that's why he says it in front of Harry and not to fudge. Yes. When when they're alone in two minutes in front of Harry, he's like, Harry is not going to be traumatized by Umbridge anymore. Get her the heck out. Yeah. Hagrid will be there waiting for him. That this whole speech is actually for Harry. Mm. Oh, I really like that. That's so helpful. I'm trying to think if I was Harry. I think if I was Harry, I would be so overwhelmed. I wouldn't even feel relieved by what Dumbledore is saying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't think Harry is taking this in. That's a lot. I mean, Dumbledore later in the passage literally instructs Harry, like, take this porky Harry. And then Harry doesn't even respond. You know, he probably just puts puts his hand onto the porky. It's an important twist in the tale, as it were, right? The, the power has switched back to Dumbledore after being away for so long. And there's something very instructive about Dumbledore's confidence in a moment of chaos. One of my favorite lines from Game of Thrones is from Littlefinger when he says, chaos is not a pit, chaos is a ladder. And this is Dumbledore using chaos to ascend in his own power again. Yeah. 
What I really love about Dumbledore in this moment, I don't know if he's like Littlefinger and thinks that this chaos is a ladder, but I love somebody who in chaos just starts making decisions. And even if they are not quite the right decisions, making decisions is the right decision because otherwise like kids are going to keep bleeding on the floor. Like things need to start happening. And chaos can just keep ensuing if somebody doesn't step up into that leadership role and fudge isn't so dumbledore's like don't worry i got it that's right yeah thanks vanessa thank you casper what a juicy passage you picked this week's episode of harry potter and the sacred text is brought to you by redfin let's say for some reason you can't get back to grimold place so you need to find a new home if you're like me you would go to redfin Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's time for our voicemail, and this week we're hearing from Anne-Mary. Hi, Ariana, Vanessa, and Casper. My name is Anne Mary, and I was at your live show in Holyoke with my husband and two sons on Wednesday. You asked who in the audience was not a fan, and it was really the first time I considered my poor husband who is not a fan. That being said, he has, without complaint and with no real personal benefits, read books one through five aloud to our boys. They read six and seven on their own. Seen every movie at least twice booked us a Harry Potter walking tour through Edinburgh when we were there, been to the off-Broadway show The Puffs twice, he owns a Harry Potter costume, and because right now I have pneumonia, he bought a ticket last minute to your show because he didn't want me to have to drive. I just wanted to say thank you. I totally took for granted all of that. So thank you again. It was nice to be reminded of what a great partner and dad he is. I wanted to offer a blessing for my husband, David, and for all the non-fans out there who tolerate our nerdery. 
Thanks again. And Mary, I hope that you are feeling better from your pneumonia. We like to joke that the people who come to our live shows, even though they are not fans of the podcast, are the heroes of our live shows. So you must be pretty wonderful to inspire such a loving husband. And yeah, people who are supportive and just show up even though they don't like something. God bless them, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Anne-Mary. And please thank your husband because I won the 30-second recap that night, and so I'm guessing he clapped for me. (laughs) So it's time for us to bless someone in this chapter. And I'm afraid to say that there's not a lot of women once we get to these these later chapters. Who are you going to bless this time, Vanessa? Yeah, I was like, do I find a way to bless Bellatrix? She's in an abusive relationship. And I just was like, I cannot, which I'm grateful for my practice of only blessing women because it really made me think of the women's bodies that are on the ground, right? We hear Luna groaning. We don't really know where Jenny is. Hermione is passed out. You know, I just would like to offer a blessing for just the victims of war who are left behind in battle and are waiting for treatment, right? Like that moment is so scary. And I feel like so many characters in this chapter are in the middle of that moment and they still don't know. They are injured, but they don't know if they will be okay or not. So I would like to offer a blessing to Ginny, Luna, and Hermione for embodying that. What about you, Casper? I want to bless Lupin, who we really only see at the very, very beginning of this chapter, He's physically holding Harry. And I don't know, there's times when I have just like sobbed in my husband's arms or I've just raged and someone like held me. And I can imagine that in this moment for Harry, the fact that he's being held, he's able to feel the fullness of whatever he's feeling. He's not having to manage himself because there are these strong, loving and protective, trustworthy arms around him that means he can feel what he's feeling and say what he's saying without having to act in a certain way. He's not having to manage himself. And that's such a gift. And I and I just think of Lupin, who has himself lost his best friend in this moment and is nonetheless able to make space, to literally hold space for Harry. So for anyone who is in those moments able to hold space for other people, a blessing for you. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join our Facebook group, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text Common Room, to chat with the amazing other listeners of the show about this episode. Huge thanks to over a thousand people now who are supporting us on Patreon, and you can join them too, or leave us a voicemail, send us a review on iTunes, and we'll hope to see you soon at one of our live shows. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, through the theme of Patience. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Not Sorry Productions, executive produced by Ariana Nevelman. Our associate producer is Chelsea Erson. Our music, as always, is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bowl, and we are a part of Nightdale Presents. Thanks to Anne Mary for this week's voicemail, to Julia Argy, Maggie Needham, and Stephanie Paulsell. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. It is still annoying that he was so cute, people just gave him things. This is the thing we never talk about. Some babies are cuter than others. He wasn't even a baby. He was a toddler. He was like four. And people were like, oh, my God, he's so cute. And how old were you? How old were you?
much older? Seven. I'm three and a half years older. So he was four and you were seven and the big toe looked at you and gave gave you nothing. Dismissed. (laughs) For sure. I mean, he was four and I was like eight because I'm like three. So like he was like sort of still a baby and I was like a big kid. But oh, yeah. And it used to happen all all the the time. Yeah. 